Dominus Vobiscum Amigos, and welcome to another episode of the Heavenly Toast Podcast. Thank you for joining me here in these reflections for the third Sunday of Lent. I think it's something that we hear a lot today, that the church is overly moralizing. It's very concerned with the little minutia of everybody's lives and kind of tries to kind of inch its way in and kind of muscle around and sort of dictate to us how we ought to live and everything like that. And I think that these readings really speak to that in a very illuminating and very deep way, if we really look at them. Before we actually get into the readings, I want to talk about the passage before the readings that's given in the regular Roman Missal. So every Sunday there's a series of readings that's given there, and before that series of readings, there's a little passage, and it's like a snippet from the saints, or maybe it's a passage from the catechism, or some other spiritual book or something like that, that kind of talks about what the readings discuss, kind of ties them together a little bit and everything. So I want to talk about this one a little bit, because I think it's really interesting. This is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1848. And what it says is, as St. Paul affirms, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. But to do its work, grace must uncover sin so as to convert our hearts and bestow on us righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like a physician who probes the wound before treating it, God, by his word and by his spirit, casts a living light on sin. I think a lot about the moral life and everything and what it is to be moral and there's a lot of questions about that nowadays because we're really confronting a time where there's a lot of moral relativism and well how do we know that that's true you know maybe that's right for you but it's not quite right for me and everything like that you know maybe Jesus is God for you and maybe he's not for me and everything and I think when we look at these readings we have to consider a little bit about what it is to live a moral life and why someone would live a moral life in the first place. If we go back to Aristotle, even, he was uh, very famous for his work on ethics. There's a book called The Nicomachean Ethics that's very well known in philosophical circles, and uh, it's referenced a lot in the church's teaching and the church's writings, actually. And when Aristotle's writing about that, what he's doing is he's going through virtue by virtue and vice by vice and kind of calling out, okay, cowardice is a vice, courage is a virtue. What does all that mean, though? You know, where's the, the balance or the golden mean, as he called it? You know, what, what dis delineates cowardice from courage from brashness? And, you know, like what would almost be defined as like an excess of courage. So what's the differences there? Why does the virtue fall sort of in the center of those of that continuum of extremes? And he talks a lot about what things are right and what things are wrong in human life and in human action. But ultimately, at the end of that work, when he's tying everything together and really kind of focusing in on the nature of the ethical and the moral, Ultimately, what he says is, why do people live a moral life? And the conclusion that he comes to is, they live a moral life so that they can be happy. 
It's so that they can be happy. That's what he says. Even all of the difficulties that might be uh, associated with living a moral life, all of the things that we might have to give up, all of the things that we have to choose against and choose for that are difficult, the end goal for Aristotle is to be happy. That's why people live a moral life. And we kind of look at that and we're like, man, why does that, does that even make sense? You know, we're talking about we're in Lent. I have to give up meat on Fridays. I'm, you know, giving up chocolate or sweets or, you know, talking to this person in a snarky manner or I'm giving up Facebook or, you know, whatever. These are all tough things. And if I want to live a moral life according to the church, there's all these things that I got to do. Why? What's the purpose behind all of it? And the church gives the same answer that Aristotle gives. It's ultimate human happiness. That's why we choose what we do. Now, what does all of that mean? There's a passage in the Catechism. I don't have it on f- in front of me, unfortunately. But um, it's, it's a very poignant passage because what it says is basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but what it says is that either man masters his passions and becomes happy or he allows himself to be dominated by his passions and he becomes unhappy. And I think that we see this so many times in life that you see somebody in very obvious ways who's addicted to drugs or gambling or pornography or, you know, you fill in the blank with anything and they become unhappy. It consumes them and destroys their lives. It's Some stories are very, very tragic and very, very sad even. But we also see it in small ways. When we let things get the better of ourselves, when we let things eat us up inside and we lash out in a way that damages a relationship, when we are confronted with a situation maybe where there's an excess of food or drink and we feel terrible the next day, all of these things are points in the moral life where we've had to make choices and there have been consequences to those choices. A clean conscience, if I know that I've done the right thing, even if I had to make some personal sacrifice, I can go to bed with my head on the pillow knowing that I made the right choice and that no matter what happened, even if it seems like a small consolation, there's peace there because I know that I've done what's right. When we look at the gospel reading today and Jesus is talking about there's all these stories of tragedies that have befallen people and the people are asking, oh, are they worse sinners than the rest of us? You know, were they being punished for this thing? And Jesus is replying, no, but look at these things and recognize the fact that in failing to do good and in choosing to do evil, we will perish as well. It's a very serious thing that Jesus says. I mean, he kind of just lays it out for the people that are asking him about these things. And he says, no, this is this moral life that we're looking at. These decisions that we're making are truly important. And we have to pay attention to these things. And I especially like this parable at the end of the reading. I'll just read it all the way through. This is uh, Luke chapter 13, where Jesus is speaking and the passage goes, and he told them this parable. There was once a person who had planted a fig tree in his orchard, and when he came in search of fruit on it but found none, he said to the gardener, 
For three years now I have come in search of fruit on this fig tree, but have found none. So cut it down. Why should it exhaust the soil? He said to him in reply, Sir, leave it for this year also, and I shall cultivate the ground around it and fertilize it. It may bear fruit in the future. If not, you can cut it down. I really think that this kind of encapsulates the life of grace within us, and especially as we look at Lent and kind of the spots where maybe we've failed or we need to kind of add in a little bit or we need to cut out a little bit, that Jesus comes to us and he says, you know, you're not bearing fruit right now. There's things in your life that are holding you back. You've got too much foliage in order to really blossom and grow into fruit. Let me prune you that you might bear fruit in the future. The pruning process is painful. Make no mistake, you're clipping off leaves and cutting down branches and it's going to be painful. There's no doubt about it. But why does the church insist on this? Because in order to truly grow, we need to have a recognition of the spots in our lives where we're doing things that we ought not to do and we're not doing things that we ought to do. It goes back to this Aristotelian idea that's so much in line with what the church says that God's ultimate goal for us is happiness. He desires for us to bear much fruit. He is the true vine, and we're to be grafted onto him as branches so that we might share his life. But that grafting is not without pain, and it's not without pruning. So when we think about it, why does the church insist so much against, um, like, the vices of lust? The vice of lust, for example. Well, it's so that we can root out that and have true love spring up in its place. Why does the church stand so much against pride? Because she knows that true humility is what will make us truly happy in life. And humility, not just in, oh, you know, I'm going to think very little of myself, I'm going to think of myself as dirt. That's not real humility. Real humility is recognizing who and what I am. I'm a child of God, yes. I have these faults, yes. I have these virtues, yes. And ultimately, this is what God desires for me, and I can go to that with his grace. That's the ultimate message of Lent, I think, in a lot of ways. It's the ultimate message of the Christian life. It's not just pruning away these leaves because we don't like leaves. You know, that's not it at all. Or, you know, it's, oh, it's too green. Like, no, no, not at all. The goal is to bear fruit and to share in that divine life of the true vine that we're to be grafted onto. It's to come to a humble recognition that there are some things that we've just got to get rid of. There are some things that we ought to do and we just don't make the time for. But if we allow the vine dresser to come in and to prune us, even though it's painful now, even though we might not understand now, we'll bear great fruit. It's about letting the divine physician come in and poke and prod and ask us questions that maybe are really uncomfortable, and maybe they're parts of our life that we don't want to give them access to. 
And we think that the church is outdated. We think that these rules are mindless and don't make any sense. But he'll heal us, especially if we start truly seeking out what it is that God wants for us and why the church teaches what it does. Because ultimately, it is about allowing grace to abound all the more, even in the midst of our weaknesses, even in the midst of our embarrassing and egregious faults. So it's a great message as we continue to go during Lent. I hope that your Lent has continued to go well, that your sacrifices and uh, practices that you're taking part in have been fruitful. And just a reminder for you and for I that we need to let the gardener do his pruning because he knows far, far greater than we do and his plan is far, far better than anything that we could imagine. So until next time, stay in the state of grace. God bless, friends. Cheers.